0: As I was preparing this sermon, I went back and forth on how I wanted to approach this text this morning. Uh, Today, we come to what is traditionally called the high priestly prayer. So, it's not just a text that we're reading this morning, it's actually a prayer. And it's the longest of the prayers recorded by Jesus in all of the Bible. Now, frequently, as we're reading through the Gospels, you see things uh, that we sometimes call popcorn prayers, where Jesus kind of just lifts up a quick little prayer to the Lord. um, And it might be a small issue, might be a big issue, but uh, this by far is the most extensive prayer in comparison to all others that we see of Jesus. So the fact that it's a prayer is what left me with such a wrestle on how to go about preaching it. Oftentimes when people pray prayers, especially when Christians are praying prayers, the Christian, the most charitable thing to do when someone prays a prayer is to do what? Say amen, right? We say amen. We don't uh, pick it apart. We don't talk about all the points of it. We just say amen. We agree with it as far as it accords with God's word. Uh, So the most natural thing for me to do, for us to do this morning after reading this text is just simply say amen. And that's what I feel like we should almost do. When we listen to a prayer of Jesus, we just want to say, yeah, amen. But I also didn't want to miss the opportunity, as I don't think Jesus wanted to miss the opportunity, to exposit the heart of this prayer. I think Jesus really wanted his disciples to get something from this prayer, not just hear it and say amen, but to, to dig deeper. That is, we need to understand what Jesus means in this prayer to better amen it. All the more wholeheartedly. If we're going to say amen to it, we need to understand what we're saying amen to. So what I hope to show you this morning is that this prayer is primarily about the unity and oneness of Christ's church as it stands in contrast to the world. That's what Jesus really wants you to see in this prayer, the oneness and unity of his church. So if you would turn in your Bibles, as I said, to John chapter 17, we're going to read the whole thing, verses 1 through 26. These are the words of God. As such, let's give attention to them this morning. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you have given them to me, and have kept them by your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. keep them in your name which you've given me that they may be one even as we are one while i was with them i kept them in your name which you've given me i've guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled but now i'm coming to you and these things i speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves i've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world Father, as we come to you this morning, doing the very thing that we've just read Jesus was doing, making requests of you. Lord, I pray along with Jesus this morning, my prayer is the same as His, that your Son Jesus would be glorified this morning. I pray that His name would be manifest to us, that we might see Him for all He is and have eternal life because of it. Lord, I pray that you would till the soil of our hearts this morning i pray that we would be receptive to your word that we really would receive it as your disciples did and i pray lord that it would affect in us all kinds of fruits Lord, we pray that you would impress these things deeply upon us and we pray that the same holy spirit that inspired these words originally carried them down to the ages and placed them in our hands today would bear witness with the spirit that is in our hearts and that it might change us, mold us, shape us, conform us to the image of your son Jesus we stand as clay this morning you are the potter and we want to be molded by you. we sit at your feet this morning asking for your help we ask it all in the strong name of Jesus amen, amen. well helpful place to start as we come to this prayer is to remember what Jesus has just told the disciples, before he begins praying we've been going through John as I said and if we look back to the last chapter if you'd look back in John chapter 16 and verse 32 this gives a little bit of context to know where he's coming from to know why he's kind of saying these things and where in the life of Jesus he gets this prayer so if you look at verse 32 and chapter 16 he says this to the disciples behold the hour and uh, behold the hour is coming indeed it has come When you, he's speaking to the disciples, will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Okay, so it's no wonder why the central plea in this prayer is oneness, is unity among the believers. Jesus knows that his death is about to cause his sheep to scatter They're going to run away. They're going to be confused as when a shepherd gets struck and the sheep run away. That is what is going to happen to his disciples. Therefore, he prays to them, uh, prays to the father that their scattering might not be the final state but that oneness might be the final state. So he says, yes, it's gonna happen. You are going to scatter, but I don't want that to be the end for you. I want you guys to be able to come back together and center on something. That's what we're gonna look at this morning. So as we look at this prayer, if there's note takers in the room, I know some of you really like outlines. Some of you like a good uh, laid out pattern for us to look at sermons. Well, I actually have a little bit of one this morning. There's three sections to this prayer. If you're taking notes, Uh, there's three movements that Jesus makes in this prayer. Jesus starts out in verses 1 through 5 where he prays for himself. So Jesus prays for himself in the first part, and verses 6 through 19 Jesus moves to praying for his disciples. And lastly, Jesus prays for all believers in verses 20 through 26. So he prays for himself, for his disciples, and for all believers. Now, starting with Jesus praying for himself, I find this very fascinating. Not just the fact that Jesus who is God, prays for himself. Uh, but there's lots of different reasons. He, he even refers to His uh, himself by name. He's praying to God, and he calls himself Jesus Christ, speaking in the third person. I find that quite odd. So there's lots of things that are odd to me. But the most bizarre thing that I think about this is that Jesus is praying in this prayer for his own glorification in a posture of Humility. It's kind of odd, isn't it? It seems an impossible feat, but Jesus does it. He's praying for glory for himself with a humble posture. right? It almost doesn't even make sense. It would seem that praying for glory is the most prideful thing you can do. right? Give me more glory. But don't forget that he's already been given the authority by the Father to do the things that he's asking for. In other words, he's making a request for something God's already told him he's going to do. So he's asking that he carry out the plan that's already been arranged for him. Glorify the Son so that the Son might glorify the Father, he says in verse 1. So the goal is the glory of God bouncing around from the Father to the Son back to the Father. Okay, so that's kind of the circular motion of glory among the Trinity. And for the record, this is the only way that anyone can pray for glory. Because God does not share his glory with anyone, according to Isaiah 42.8. God doesn't share that glory. It all needs to come back to him. So if we ask to be glorified, it must be in the sense to where we're going to get glory to bounce it back to him. So there is a real sense in which we can pray for glory as it will bounce off of us and bounce back to him. We can still be a light of the world like Jesus is a light of the world because we're giving that glory and that light back to the Father. There's places in scriptures that talk about having our good works glorify our Father in heaven. So we've been called to those good works, right? It's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's a real sense in which we can model Jesus' prayer here. We've been called to walk in good works. Jesus has been called to accomplish things, and he's praying to the Father, help me do these things that you've called me to do. Glorify me as I do them. And there's a way, church, that we can do this as well. God, help me, Father, help me to do the things that you called me to do as it will glorify you. Help me to be a light to the world. That's not prideful to pray that. So there's this first uh, thing that we can kind of take away from this, that Jesus teaches us how to pray for ourselves, not in a prideful way, but in a humble way. But we might ask, what is this glory for? Why is Jesus so concerned about praying for his own glorification? Is it because Jesus is an egomaniac? No, it's not that. It's because he's concerned that those whom the Father has given him would see his glory and realize it is the key to eternal life. Because the glory of Christ is most clearly displayed where? On the cross. That's where the glory is at. That's where we see Jesus most glorified. So even as he's praying for himself, his heart is for the believers. His heart is for their salvation. He doesn't want to be glorified for his own sake only. He's praying for glorification for your sake, for the sake of the disciples, so that you might reap the benefits of beholding the glory of God. Glorify the Son so that you can actually get something from that, so that you can reap eternal life. Because when the Son is glorified, And the world sees it. That's when people believe. That's when they get illuminated. That's when they see. That's when they become a light too. And that spreads more and more. So now we can see Jesus' heart in this prayer. It's for you. It's, It's for believers. It's for those whom the Father has given him to believe in his name. Yes, he's praying for himself. But by doing so, he's also praying for the disciples. Which brings us to our next point. Where he starts to move to pray for his disciples. Now, let's go back to this glory concept for a moment that Jesus keeps praying for. We know now that its purpose was for the salvation of believers. But what does he mean by glory? What's, what's he talking about there? Well, by praying for glory, he's asking for such an illustrious display of the splendor and goodness of Jesus as Savior. And as people see this joyous truth of Jesus, as they see his heart for salvation... They also see the wonderful truth of God. In other words, you can't see the full picture of God, the Father, until you see the full picture of the Son. Once you know the Son, then you'll know the Father. Then you'll know the whole picture. And by this captivating glory, the glory of God, as seen most clearly in Jesus on the cross, people believe and they partake of eternal life. Okay, This is what... He keeps saying that he manifests to them. Did you notice that in verse 6? I manifest that to them. The words uh, he made known to them, it says in verse 8. Right? This is the message that he's giving to the disciples. He's speaking of the glory of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ who has come to save sinners. And because of the work of Christ on our behalf, we can be saved. We can have eternal life. So it shouldn't surprise us, though... When we think about that, how he's making the distinction of how God has come into the world to save sinners, it shouldn't surprise us when we come to verse 9, but I think it might surprise some of us. What does verse 9 say? It might catch some of you off guard. I'm praying for them. Okay, good. I'm praying for the disciples. I'm not praying for the world. Whoa. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So he's making it very clear that he's only praying for those whom the Father has given him to believe. He's not praying for the world who has rejected him. These are people who say, I don't want you. And Jesus says, I'm not praying for you. I'm praying for the people that have believed in me. Now, I don't want to make any bigger deal of this than Jesus does. But have you noticed this theme in the last few chapters where Jesus really makes his disciples stand out as something special, something chosen? Okay. Jesus not only distinguished his disciples saying, you're my friends, so he, he didn't just distinguish them from the world, but he also goes farther than that. He says that they have been chosen from the world. I didn't tr- bring any attention to this when we looked at it in chapter 15, but I'd like to kind of just go back there real quick now and point it out that it's actually a theme that keeps coming up. John chapter 15 verse 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit that it might abide. So he won't let his disciples think that they are being set apart from the world because they're better than anyone else. It's not the disciples' goodness, it's not that they're awesome that he's chosen them. He says, actually, I loved you first, and because I loved you, you love me. That's why this works the way that it works. I you didn't choose me, I came and found you. I hunted you down. I found you and I appointed you to do what you are doing. Their belief is by appointment. And their belief is rooted in the fact that they've been given by the Father to the Son. Have you caught this? Or have you caught this have we been, as we've been reading through this? Read verse 2 with me. Verse 2 says this Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to who? To all whom you have given him. To all whom you've given him. Okay, verse 6. I have manifested your name to who? to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Or verse 9, those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 12, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be where I am. Six times in this one prayer, Jesus reiterates the fact that the disciples have been given by the Father to the Son out of the world. Now, why? Why do you think that Jesus keeps repeating this thing over and over again? Well, remember, the disciples are in earshot of this. They can hear what he is praying. So Jesus repeats this truth to do the very thing that he is praying for in verse 17 through 18. What does this say? Verse 17 says this. Sanctify them, that's the disciples there, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So he wants to sanctify the believers. And the truth of God's word, he's pounding it into the heads of his disciples that they are chosen from the world, sanctified from the world, set apart from the world. They are appointed not because of their own will, not because of flesh and blood, but because of the gracious will of God. It is by grace that they are where they are today. And Jesus really wants them to catch this six times. He repeats it so that they can hear it clearly. So by sanctify here, he means set apart, contrasted with. Holy, distinct, consecrated, peculiarly not the world. And this sanctification, he says, is accomplished by the word. So he's going to set these people apart, choose them, uh, contrast them with the word. Now, how so? How does this sanctification happen? And what does he mean by word? What's he talking about? Sanctify them by the word. Well, it means that we are set apart, holy, And distinct as Christians because we are unified in the truth of Jesus, who is the word of God. Jesus, strictly speaking, is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's not in the beginning was the Bible, and the Bible was with God, and the Bible was God. No, it's talking strictly about Jesus, who is the way, the truth and the life jesus strictly speaking is the word is the eternal logos who was with god before the world even existed he is pre-existent to this world that he keeps talking about did you catch that in the text the glory that i had with you before the world existed i'm before even all this is what jesus is saying he wants people to catch a glimpse of that glory of who jesus really is and before we ever believed God gifted us to Jesus that we might be a chosen people before any belief ever ha- happened. And this word of God comes to us and its glory captivates us and causes us to believe. And we believe because we are now in Christ over and above the fact that we are in the world. That's what Jesus is doing by sanctifying them in the word, by, in the gospel. Who he is, what he did, what he says, his name is what we want to unify and therefore sanctify us From the world. We are not of the world. We're in the world, but we are not of the world. And Jesus wants it to be very clear. That's them, and you guys are with me. You're in my name. We are Jesus' people. Okay. So verse 11 says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Now we've talked about this. Lots of times, we haven't really dug in deep to uh, to the, the concept of in your name, but I just want you to think about in your name, praying in the name of Jesus, doing something in the name of Jesus, asking requests of the Father in the name, in the name, okay? Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, he says, that they may be one, even as we are one. So it's the name of the Father, which is given to the Son and shared with the disciples that unites them and makes them one, even as he and the Father are one. This is the unity that we have. Jesus consecrates himself, separates himself from the world in his death and resurrection. And by doing so, he sanctifies us because we are united with him. Right? He, he sets us apart who believe in his name by his death and resurrection. This is why the world hates the disciples of Christ, as it says in verse 14. Because we are Jesus people. We believe in Jesus. We are following Jesus who is clearly not going in the pattern of the world. We're doing something different over here. And we're doing it because Jesus saved us and appointed us to do the very things that he's doing. Living in contrast to the world. So the disciples are the people who carry the name of Jesus. They are Christians they the people who carry the name of Christ. Christians, we are n- literally named by Christ. We are having his name shared with us. And their unity and oneness as a people stems from them being uh, named by the Son from the Father. Right? He shares that name with us. So it's the name of Jesus that unifies us. And I want this to, to go to our hearts this morning. This is the moment to where I want us to kind of slow down and maybe have a little bit of repentant action. Because it's the name of Jesus that unifies us. It's not political party that unifies us. It isn't common ethical stances that unify us. It isn't even doctrinal fidelity as much as I want to say it is. It's not that that unifies us. right? The thing that unifies the church is the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name. It's above red, blue. It's above this stance, that stance. It's not doctrine that unites us. It's not even the Bible that unites us. It's Jesus alone, as seen in th- through the scriptures, yes. But it's Jesus alone that makes us Christians. Not holding a Bible in our hands. The Pharisees had their Bible. It's Jesus that makes us Christians. And it's that that we're leaning into for the unity it's that right there he says it in verse uh, two and three eternal life to whom the father has given the son and this is eternal life that they know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you've sent that is where we need to look to to find the unity that is the unity that the disciples should seek above everything else as they stand in tribulation in the world that would otherwise cause them to scatter you're going to run he says you're going to scatter what are you going to come back to what is that thing that's going to unify you, bring you back together as one people, even as I and the Father are one? What is that? It's Jesus and his heart to save sinners. That is what brings them together to be one. That is what keeps them from the evil one. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one that keeps them. The, one, uh, the, the, the evil one would come to breed what? Disunity confusion. He would want to split us up as a church. He'd want to uh, sow all kinds of seeds of discord. But Jesus says, no, I want you to be centered on who I am, what I've done for you, this gospel message, this gospel centrality, so that we might be unified as a church. So we're we're being uh, protected from the evil one who would otherwise cause us to scatter in the name of Jesus. Think about this as you're praying your prayers uh, in regards to other churches. Think about this in your heart as you're in conversations about other churches, about the unity that we have as Christians, as believers. This is a moment where our hearts can be engaged, right? This isn't just abstract ideas. This is real life. This is things that we should be wrestling with. So so Jesus prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. He also prays for all believers, now, someone might say as we move to this ta- uh, passage, but isn't this just one of those passages where he's just talking about the, uh, the context of the disciples? He's, he's praying for the disciples not to scatter after the crucifixion, right? It's just them. So why are we trying to relate it to us? Well, obviously, yes, he's praying in the presence of the disciples. So it is directed towards them. But notice in verse 20, he makes the point to say he's not only praying for the disciples, but he's also praying for those who will believe in me through their word. So just as he wants to be precise in his prayers about not praying for the world, this is very important to Jesus. He also uh, finds it very important to distinguish the fact that he wants not just the disciples, but he also wants those who believe in the word of the disciples to be having all these truths counted to them as well. He's not just praying for the disciples back then. Church, he's praying for you if you believe. That's, that's one of the greatest takeaways that we can take away from this is that Jesus is praying for you. It's not just contextually applicable to the disciples only. It's for us today. I want you to hear Jesus' heart as he's praying here. Now, th- this prayer, it follows the pattern of most of all the other chapters. Jesus starts with the apostles. Then they carry that gospel pattern forward through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, usually through the witness of Scripture, and it spreads throughout the world. And it applies to us so through the proclamation of the word of the gospel this prayer reaches even to us today who have believed in god and his son whom he has sent for our salvation so we too have been sanctified in the truth that's what we are actually doing right now we have come out from the world together to be sanctified from the world in the truth of the gospel basking in the glory of god giving glory to jesus to be transformed Like he's praying for. This is how God is still answering this prayer of Jesus today. It's being fulfilled in your presence right now. And it's not just that he prayed that one time back then. We also find uh, places where it says that Jesus intercedes for us. He's continuing to pray for us. His heart is for us. So before we believed, think about this, we were of the world. Weren't We We were the world, but through sanctification, through this prayer of Jesus, the setting apart of the, uh, the truth of God in Jesus, the world is now believing and therefore showing to be numbered among those whom the Father has given to the Son to believe. That's us. That's us too, not just the disciples. We have been given from the Father to the Son to believe. So in a real sense, the world is being sanctified by the truth as well. The world is being washed as the gospel washes over the earth. It cleanses and sets apart those who are being saved. And more and more, like a a mustard seed, it grows and grows. And we start to find that this glory is covering the entire earth. That's that's the hope, isn't it? That the knowledge and the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters covers the sea. That's the pattern that Jesus is praying for. That's what we're going for. Jesus' prayers, they get answered. If any prayer is going to be answered, you you know, we think about the effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Jesus is pretty righteous. (laughs) Jesus is as righteous as it gets. And when he prays, his prayers are answered. So I, I want you to think about this this morning. Listen to the way that Jesus puts his prayer in verse 20 through 23 as it pertains to the world. Verses 20 through 23 says this. If you underline in your Bibles, I don't. But if you do, you can underline this when I tell you. I do not ask for these only. But also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that, there it is, the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that, underline that, the world... May know that you have sent me and loved them even as you love me. For God so loved the world that whoever might believe in him might not perish but might have eternal life. The things that Jesus is trying to glorify and show the world all the more. So, yes, there's this truth of only those whom the Father has given to the Son who will believe, but the whole purpose, the goal here, is that this might grow and grow and grow to where it's more and more people. All these people are coming in to see the glory of God in Jesus. So by this prayer being answered, the world is able to see a unified force of Christianity. What they see when they see that unified force is what? The love of God and the people of God. They see that we are a loving people. We love people based on the love that we've received. We love because he first loved us. Right? Verse twenty-three. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know. There, there's the world again. May know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Perfectly united. Think about that. Perfectly one. That's that's extremely profound. Jesus is praying that we might be perfectly one. These prayers get answered. Imagine in your mind what it would look like to be perfectly one with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's strong language that will be answered. That's where we're going. Perfectly one. I I don't know if that's striking to you, but that's really striking to me. As I look around our church, I don't think that we're even perfectly one, much less perfectly one with the, the church down the road. But this is where we're going, and this should be our heart. Because this is the heart of Jesus here, that we might be perfectly one. So as we close, there's a couple big takeaways that I want you to take home from this prayer. The first is that Jesus prays for you, believer. I, I want you to get this maybe more than anything else. Jesus cares for you, he prays for you, and he's continuing to pray for you. And this prayer will be answered. His prayers are heard by the Father. They will be answered. Jesus prays that you will be kept, that you will be guarded, and he wills that you will be where he is, that his joy might be fulfilled in you. Jesus wants you to be joyful in his presence. He wants you to see his glory so that you'll be captivated by it, moved by it to do what he calls you to do. So next time you're you're feeling lost, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Right? It's the old hymn. When you're feeling... Uh, disunified, when you're feeling scattered from the flock, when you're feeling like the church is over here and you're over here, know that Jesus has prayed for you and is praying for you, and then his prayer will be answered. You're going to be brought back into a oneness and a unity with who he is. When you glance down at your smartwatch and you notice that your stress levels are out the roof, in those moments, we need to remember this. When we're feeling scatterbrained and we're just feeling all messed up, we need to remember in that moment that Jesus has prayed for you. Right When you're losing your cool and you're just, uh, you're just confused, you don't even know what to think, I want you to center back on Jesus. That's where you're going to come back to your center because Jesus really is this center that fixes all of this problem, that brings us back to unity even with ourselves so that we might be one with him as he and the Father are one. That's where we come back to. Also, this prayer gives you a glimpse into the heart of Jesus for his people. gives us a glimpse into the heart of Jesus for his people. He wants you to be one with your brothers and sisters in Christ even as he and the Father are one. And it might be helpful to ask yourself this morning, this is where I said a minute ago, maybe we have a little bit of heart work to do here, some repentance, some confession, uh, because I want you to think about this. It might be helpful to ask yourself if you even want what Jesus is praying for, for you. Let me say that again. Do you want what Jesus is praying for, for you? Does your prayer life align with Jesus, can you even say amen wholeheartedly to that kind of oneness with all believers? Is that something you really want? Our actions a lot of times say, no, it isn't what we want. We would rather gossip. We would rather uh, sow discord about the brothers and sisters in Christ. We would rather breed disunity with the evil one than we would pray for unity among our brothers and sisters in Christ. So church, allow Jesus' prayer this morning to soften your heart this morning towards a true picture of perfect unity. That's where we're going. That's, that's the heart of Jesus, and I want it to be a heart for me. I want it to be a heart, uh, the heart of you. I want it to be the heart of Village, that we love the socks off of people. I, I, I want to love people to where they're struck by the kind of unity that we desire with them, because we believe in Jesus. We're gospel people. We're Jesus people. And if you love Jesus, we have a lot in common. We have a lot in common. And lastly, the big picture is this. If you want a thousand foot view, the purpose of this prayer is that joy is fulfilled in you this morning through being sanctified by Jesus. Jesus sets us apart from the world and that actually should cause us joy. And that joy he's speaking about is rooted in knowing that we are one with God, not with the world. Your unity is with God, not the world. There's lots of things that are passing away in the world. But God is fixed. He is not moving. And we are coming together in the unity of who Jesus is and the gospel. And that is what brings us joy. That's what brings us hope. That is what unites the world around the kingship of Jesus to where his rule and reign is actually realized. We can see it around us with our own two eyes where it's on earth as it is in heaven. That's where we're going. That kind of unity, that kind of reign of Jesus is the goal. Amen? amen? Now, I haven't exhausted this prayer by any means. Uh, this probably could have been like a five-part series. But at least now, as we look at this text, we can say, okay, this is what Jesus means when he says unity. This is what he wants from me. And this helps us all the more to do, as I said a moment ago, to be able to say amen all the more wholeheartedly and actually mean it and know what we're agreeing to. Amen? Amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, we need your help in this. This is not something that we can do on our own. This is something that we need uh, a continual, perpetual, fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit that unites us with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon every single person in this room the deep care for the unity of the church that you have. You want it bad. And you will get it. Lord, I pray that we would not fight against that. That we would not kick against the goads. That we would be welcoming to your oneness that you pray for in your church. We pray that our prayers would align with your prayers. We want your will to be done in our hearts, Lord. Not our wills, but your will is the prayer that we have this morning. Unify us with all believers, all who have been called by you out from the world to believe in your son Jesus and have eternal life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us continue to worship this morning by standing and singing together. Jesus.